Okay, welcome to a God is Just Like Jesus video. I'm gonna make this a quick one. I'm working on book number two. There's the new cover. God is Just Like Jesus, and it's Jesus's compassion and his fierceness that result in protection. So the title of this one is gonna be Jesus Avoiding Rage as well as Passivity. So I wanna ask you a couple questions. Number one, what roles do anger and compassion play in your life? And I also want to ask you a counter, a couple countercultural questions. Are you aware of the positive roles anger plays in your life? Are you aware of the negative roles that compassion and empathy can play in your life? And then lastly, are, are anger and compassion combined in your life in healthy ways like you see in Jesus. So I want to read you a couple things. This is when Jesus cleans out the temple and uh, you're probably familiar with the passage but I'm going to read it for you right quick. I'm going to read you one little bit out of Mark 11, 11 and then move on to some others. Mark 11, 11. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple so that when he had looked around at all things as the hour was late, he went out to Bethany by, with the twelve. So remember that. Okay, then I'm going to read John 2, 13 through 18. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords and drove them all out from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered what is written. Zeal for your house will consume me. Okay, so that's the classic cleansing of the temple. I also want to read to you Matthew 21, 12 through 13. It says, after all these things had occurred, and he's cleansed the temple, it said, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. I bet they were knowing the Pharisees. Okay, so I want to ask you, what grips you about Jesus in this, in this event? And then, of course, I'd love to hear what you say because it's always better in a small group. But what grips me? Well... I love the healthy use of anger. When I first read this, I thought, oh, I get what's happening. Jesus is having a total meltdown, right? My, my dad would, and I've done this myself so many times, so I don't want to pick on him too much. I talk about my mom, anybody. I get upset about something at work, and then I come home and yell at my kids. And it is a dysfunctional use of anger. Well, Jesus never vents sideways in anger. I thought I understood what was happening in the temple. I thought, yeah, you know, he's having a total meltdown, just like I've had or my dad's had or even my mom losing it sometimes. But Mark eleven eleven tells us he was not losing it at all because he walked in the night before and he says, Jesus went into Jerusalem, into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, he went back to Bethany to hang out with uh, Mary, Martha and Lazarus, right? So he's not caught off guard by this in the moment. And in fact, the interesting thing in John 2, 
says, so he made a whip of cords and drove everyone out. Now, that means he sat down and he has to weave this whip of cords together for a few minutes. His anger, number one, it's clean. Number two, he didn't hit anybody. But number three, it was totally premeditated. He was not venting on somebody else. He literally tears apart the temple situation. And we know that the money changers were ripping off the people and changing the country money into the temple money and and um, and taking a cut, right? And they're also turning away the people's animals, uh, potentially, and then selling them the more expensive, like certified priestly animals. So the corrupt system in the temple, Jesus just demolishes the whole thing. And he puts it right. And so what's the result of it? When you really connect with the next verses in Matthew 21, it says, Then the lame and the blind came to him at the temple, and he healed them. So I always want to encourage you. Yeah, you got a prayer life where you ask for things, but get into your worship life. Develop your worship life, right? Take that into your worship life and say, Lord, you are awesome. You're incredible. I love the fact it is not about you uh, tearing the temple apart. It's not about your clean anger. It's not about, um, it's about your compassion for the lame and the blind, that they would be healed. And take that into your prayer life and, uh, sorry, your worship life and enjoy him. Talk to him and tell him how amazing you think he is. That is so much more powerful um, than even Thanksgiving. Like, I'm thankful for a lot of things, but to look the God of the universe in the face and say, I'm inspired by who you are. I enjoy who you are. Your, your compassion for the lame and the, and the blind, that was motivating your fierceness. That is delightful for me. You spend 5, 10, or 15 minutes in a place of worship and then go ask for things? Boy, that's the way to do it. And you will sense his presence the more and more as the weeks and months uh, build and you you develop your worship life. Yeah, you're not in church. You don't have a song you can sing. That's all right. We need to be able to worship anywhere. Take who he is and tell him what you love about him. Amazing things will happen in your life with the Holy Spirit, in your internal spiritual life. His healthy use of anger, he wasn't having a meltdown. He fashions the cord and he drives them all out. So he uses anger to carefully promote change and growth, right? And get this, the other thing going on here is not just fierceness and clean anger, and it also is being motivated by his compassion, but it's also his desire to protect the people from that sick temple system that both the right-wing Pharisees and the left-wing Sadducees have built in the house of God. They're creating kind of an image of God as, as you're experiencing getting ripped off. And is this what the God of Israel wants? And I thought we were to bring our sacrifices and be forgiven and, and you know, find strength to to do what's right and turn to God. But no, they're in, encountering a temple system. They're being abused, right? And again, that's the right-wing Pharisees and the left-wing Sadducees building that system. And so Jesus tears it down because he wants to protect the people's understanding of God. And this is our the whole book series, right? Book one that's on Amazon, and now book two that I'm working on, God is just like Jesus. 
He wants to protect their image of God. And let me tell you something. There's so much Christianity that runs around, oh, God's so good, blah, blah, blah. And they're not even convinced yet that he's really good. It's just platitudes and BS. So I want you to engage with real scriptural passages where you can really see God's invisible character through Jesus's visible character as he relates to people. It's relational. It's not just theological statements, right? And theological statements can be great. You know, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ, Ephesians, or we are more than conquerors. That's totally true. But we've got to get beyond as evangelicals and as Christians, mere theological statements, and we have to know him. And that's why I'm saying go for your worship life and talk to him in there and tell him what you like about him. And I'm going to work on a podcast about the like the 10 times people Jesus praises people. Go find those and then tell him how much you enjoy the fact he praises imperfect people. Not perfect. There is no perfect people. So healthy anger, the one takeaway. Healthy compassion. Um, so much of the time in our culture, we are steeped these days in dysfunctional compassion and as if, as if empathy is the answer to everything. Now, it is the answer to some things, but we're going off the deep end with dysfunctional empathy. So we don't realize empathy can be perverted and go off the rails when it enables someone else to quit, to be passive, give in to addictions, or generally just play the victim card. How much of America is steeped in just playing the victim, right? And that's the right wing and that's the left wing and all kinds of people in between, right? We need to step out of dysfunctional compassion and empathy for people playing the victim card. Now, there are some victims, right? I'm, you know, you could go to Ukraine and you could see some real victims. To varying degrees, we need friends, support, and then we need to just take responsibility for our lives. Now, sometimes... We really need to show people real compassion and empathy. And there is a place for that. But how often nowadays does it turn into just enabling them to just quit and give up and do nothing, right? And that's not helping people. That's destroying people. So Jesus does not engage in dysfunctional compassion and dysfunctional empathy. And remember, in John 5, 6, remember the guy near this, the uh, pool of Bethesda? And, you know, everybody tries to get into the pool because they think an angel stirred the water and they want to get healed. And the guy's paralyzed and he can't make it there in time. But Jesus shows up and he asks him the first question. He says, do you want to get healed? And I think that's a really great question because we know he goes on to heal him. But he's asking the guy something and it has to do with dysfunctional empathy and compassion. He says, if I heal you and I want to. You got to realize you can't beg on the streets anymore. You're going to have to reintegrate with society. You're going to actually have to take responsibility for your life and you're, you're going to have to get a job. And that's not always that fun, but you can do it. And so he's asking the guy, are you sure? Do you want to be healed? And, and people have different answers to that question. Okay. And then moving along, what about in your life? Do you have a healthy combination of of both clean anger and fierceness and compassion because Jesus wasn't one or the other. And a lot of churches, the Lutherans, Episcopalians, Methodists, 
and I'm not saying all of them, let's say 50% of them, right? So I don't make a sweeping statement. They want to see Jesus as meek and mild. And then the, some of the, the more intense right wing churches, you know, some of the, you know, and again, not all of them, but some of the Baptists, some of the Pentecostals, some of the Charismatics, some of the, maybe some of the Catholics, although Catholics could be on both sides, you know, some more right wing, some more left wing. They're going to say, oh, Jesus is intense. He's fierce. And, and he, you know, he has demands on your life. And it's like, hold it. Jesus wasn't the dysfunctional version of anger, nor the dysfunctional version of compassion. He was the healthy marriage of both compassion and clean anger. And, and is that happening in your life? So as you focus on him, and I would say, we want to meditate like the Buddhists, but on Jesus not just on their rule set like they have some amazing rules but the focal point needs to be on the person of jesus and i think we could do well to develop our worship lives and really learn how to dial in and uh, focus on the son of god so it was never about the fierceness nor the cleansing of the temple it was about healing the lame and the blind and it was about protecting the people's understanding of god it's really was about the people being healed and released into rich and robust living because they had a healthy view of God. So the crux of all this is Jesus's compassion motivates his clean anger and fierceness, and they are connected. Let me ask you these two questions from the beginning, right? Let's land the plane. Are you aware of the positive roles anger plays in your life? Make sure, make sure you don't rage or explode with your anger, but use it like Jesus did to bring healing and protection, right? That's what we want to go. So let's stop venting about, you know, harming our family because we're angry at work or yelling at a good friend because we're upset in our marriage or with our kids. Let's quit venting anger dysfunctionally sideways. And then... The other question, are you aware of the negative roles compassion and empathy play in your life? Is your compassion or empathy enabling others to be victims rather than little by little starting to take healthy responsibility for their lives and circumstances and becoming more, right? And overcoming. So we want to help people grow stronger. We don't want to make them dependent cripples, right? If we really care about them. And sometimes... We need our clean anger to motivate us to get out of passivity. Sometimes we're just passive and we're hurting ourselves or hurting others. And sometimes we need good anger that will stir us to do something. Now, we don't want a pendulum swing and freak out in rage. Use some good anger to make some discreet, well-chosen uh, actions and some carefully crafted and maybe practiced words but clean anger can motivate you to do what you need to do okay so the takeaway jesus's visible character reveals the invisible character of god jesus's healthy combination of compassion and empathy with clean anger and fierceness reveals god's character that is invisible and the perfect way we see is through the face of jesus and i just want to encourage you Polytheism is the way it's always been. Everybody has all these different gods that they're worshiping, right? And we just need to be honest about it. In Abraham's day, they worshiped all different kinds of gods. And it's unusual for anyone to be loyal to Jesus himself. 
but that's our goal. But we've got to see how good he is if our hearts are really going to connect to him. And then I want to tell you, in Jesus's day, there were Greek and Roman statues and gods everywhere. And literally, imagine there being altars everywhere and you would run around and worship these gods and, and you know, leave sacrifices, money or food or who knows what. But that was the world they grew up in, Jesus. And, and so it's the same for us. Everybody you talk to, it's like, oh, I believe in God. Really? How do you define God? Oh, I think he's, you know, in you, in me, in the plants, in the air, in the earth. We're in the circle of life. And it's like, well, Jesus didn't say that. In fact, when he said God, he meant something totally different. He meant the one true God in the Old Testament. In fact, the whole story of the Old Testament is trying to get God, people to connect with God himself and leave all the other lesser gods that were harming them with lust and money and war and try to get them to connect to Yahweh. And that's what Jesus when God became a man, that's what Jesus says, come, follow me and follow me alone. So <clears throat> the, the electrifying reality of Colossians 1.5 says, the sun is the image of the invisible God. Take that verse out in your worship time. That verse can get you in a lot of trouble with Muslims, with Buddhists, with, with uh, New Agers and Hindus. But that's what Jesus said. He says, I am the perfect representation of the Father. So expand your worship life and do it outside of music. And then if you like some of these videos or, or the book or whatnot, send me an email, chris at godisjustlikejesus.com. Like and subscribe to the videos. That really helps me in a lot of ways. Have a great night.